Hello and welcome to the Risk Experience Podcast. In the previous episode, we discussed the impact of artificial intelligence and disruptive technologies on post-COVID-19 world economy, focusing mainly on the labor market and industry. Artificial intelligence and disruptive technologies have a transformative impact on the labor market, business, international trade and trade negotiations, banking and payment systems, and overall GDP growth. The growth of AI and the development of disruptive technologies continue unabated. Economic conditions that support the fourth industrial revolution stand to change significantly in post-COVID-19 global economy, and the role of AI and disruptive technologies may change as well. In this episode of the Risk Experience podcast, we discuss the impact of artificial intelligence and disruptive technologies on international trade and the global economy. If you haven't done so, please listen to the previous episodes of the podcast for a discussion on the impact of artificial intelligence and disruptive technologies on post-COVID-19 world economy, focusing mainly on the labor market and industry. Joining me once again for this discussion is McKinsey economist, Dr. Badri Narayanan Gopalakrishnan. Welcome once again to the Risk Experience podcast, Dr. Badri. Thank you very much, Dr. Frank. All right, so let's begin with international trade. So now what we are seeing is a disruption of the global supply chain by the coronavirus pandemic. Much-needed medical equipment are no longer being delivered on time, grocery stores are running out of supplies, and other shipments that would normally take two to three days to deliver are taking about a week to do so. How are disruptive technologies going to help revive the global supply chain and international trade post-COVID-19? So that is a very interesting topic and I think I, I should first elaborate a little bit on what is happening to the global supply chain and trade and the new policy tendencies across the world, how countries are planning to change their policies. And then I can come to you know how disruptive technologies can play a role in this. Right. So first thing is that probably the wave of globalization and trade liberalization that has already begun to slide downwards starting from the Brexit first and then the US-China trade tensions and so on. So we already have been witnessing tensions in global trading system. Right. Uh, now with, uh, with COVID, we have been witnessing a lot of global supply chain disruptions. So a lot of companies, a lot of countries that had companies that were dependent on China, they had terrible difficulties in getting their supplies, raw material inputs and so on. Even before, even before the health issue started, right? Just because China was affected, they also got affected. So this was happening for some time, and then when we all got affected, the whole world got affected. The supply chain disruption became much more huge and global. And in this situation, uh, what is happening is countries are planning and discussing and strategizing to do two things. One thing is to develop domestic supply chain and make it much stronger than before. So most of the countries want to become as sovereign, as independent, as, as self-sufficient as possible vis-a-vis the other countries. So they want to have less interaction with the global supply chain. Right. So basically it's kind of, in my opinion, it is more like shooting the messenger kind of thing. Right. Where the global supply chains are disrupted or affected because of these problems, but that doesn't mean that the global supply chains are themselves a problem. Right. But I think most of the governments are going into an re- irreversible path of you know, protectionism and inward-looking uh, reforms. Exactly. So I think that is happening and probably it is going to be very difficult to stop that sentiment in public policy. So, so that is definitely you know, happening. 
so that is the situation uh, at a higher level and now coming back to your question of uh, how disruptive technologies can either revive trade or maybe worsen trade I, i think both can happen exactly that is something that you know i can talk a little bit about like i told in the previous podcast when we discussed about the, the fundamental economic conceptual and practical changes that happen because of some of these disruptive technologies right one example is the erosion of comparative advantage theory there is nothing like comparative advantage because anyone can make make anything if they have the primary raw materials so it is quite possible that because of some of these disruptive technologies particularly like 3d printing and um, robotics and automation all the countries will start trading only in raw materials so china has rare earth elements and no other country has those many of those elements so china is probably going to sell rare earth metals to every country and then us is probably going to manufacture its own iphone and maybe us may supply crude oil to some other countries and then the other countries can do their own refining and other products and so on so basically the trade will increase in terms of primary products and they it might decrease in terms of uh, manufactured products right because of the erosion of comparative advantage thing so there has been a report that was done by ing and it actually predicted that uh, trade will fall by 20 30% in 20 years if 3d printing becomes a big thing uh, if 3d printing can print a lot of things then you are going to reduce trade and that is that uh, this was done like couple of years ago so that is uh, one part of my answers the disruptive technologies can actually result in more closed world world can become more uh, inward oriented trade can fall but at the same time people can be connected you know it doesn't stop people from traveling and exchanging uh, ideas and so on but literal transportation of goods from one country to another may may reduce so the positive side of it is you know technologies like blockchain and you know artificial intelligence they can help trade in a lot of different ways so i did some research on this to understand how blockchain can positively affect trade right so the the positive uh, effects could be at least in three different areas one area is the improvement in terms of trade finance so uh, many countries in uh, many many exporters uh, are actually even importers in uh, african countries and some asian countries even you know latin american countries uh, they lack you know working capital the physical working capital to both process things and uh, and also import uh, their raw materials right and in this case you need something like trade finance you need a very strong trade finance system and uh, that is missing in many countries and the main reason is that there is a lack of collateral for for many of the small companies exactly so this situation can change by using blockchain to basically conduct these transactions in terms of trade finance in a very democratic way in a very decentralized way and at the same time very you know reliable so with with very little probability of default right so this is possible with a combination of blockchain and ai because an ai algorithm can identify whether somebody can be a good debtor somebody who who can be provided loans at a you know good rate and so on and blockchain can ensure that the transactions are recorded properly and there are smart contracts which can fall in effect based on the pre-laid terms and conditions they are all enforced so that is one aspect the trade finance can be greatly improved and that can improve trade increase trade right second part of uh, blockchain affecting trade is the all the transactions at the ports of entry customs clearance and uh, all the border border transactions they can be kind of automated and streamlined using blockchain systems the so blockchain systems can 
if you combine blockchains with internet of things and cloud and ai you can basically record all the transactions automatically you don't need many people sitting in the harbors and opening all the uh, shipments coming in and checking everything so all these things can be scanned using all these new technologies uh, using various recognition systems and also uh, using all these you know ledgers the online ledgers that can record all the transactions of the shipments and all these things can be done and the number of days or number of hours the shipments have to wait in the border can be reduced substantially right so this is the second positive aspect and the third positive aspect is it's kind of a very nuanced thing but but also very important and that is basically if you think about uh, nafta for example when a mexican exporter exports something to the us he or she has to basically um, declare and get certified that x percent of their product was made in mexico uh, so this is something like a rules of origin this is called rules of origin right so in order to get a zero tariff or zero customs duty recognition they have to show that they have made everything in mexico or everything within north america us canada mexico right so this is very costly for many of the small small exporters to show this to prove this is very expensive for them so just because of that many firms in the world are not making use of the tariff concessions the preferential tariffs that they have so what happens is instead of paying 0% duty they end up paying 20% 30% duty so this unnecessarily increases the cost of their uh, exports by 10 20 30% so i did some analysis on this and found that uh, this can be a huge game changer if blockchains can be used to track so if if the governments and industry associations can develop blockchain technologies which can track where your materials came from where are where where did the inputs come from from across the world and then it can be recorded properly and then it can be used for the authorities so the authorities can just see this see the blockchain transactions right and then they will immediately understand that they they qualify for zero tariffs this looks like a very complicated process but once it is done it this can save a lot of small exporters actually this thing is really difficult to even model or analytically uh, understand because many firms do not even think about exporting because of this complication right so the moment you are able to solve this complication using this blockchain uh, technology you are actually going to encourage a lot of people to export there will be people who never exported before they will be exporting now because they have all other requirements the only thing they don't have is money to get this certifications now when the certifications are done by the technology it's going to be much more uh, much easier and uh, cheaper for them or maybe zero cost for them and they can so with these three channels i found that this blockchain technology combined with other disruptive technologies can end up being a very positive factor for trade so in summary i think both things are possible uh, you know 3d printing kind of things can result in huge reduction in trade while these other uh, technologies can help foster trade coming back to 3d printing the first the negative thing that i pointed out the only kind of caveat or limitation is that the 3d printing technology is still not uh, completely developed particularly it cannot be used for any anything and everything right so i think still there is a long way to go and for the 3d printing technology to be completely uh, you know displacing the traditional processes so i think uh, on the balance i feel that trade can greatly benefit from disruptive technologies in general and wherever things like 3d printing wherever it trade may be affected it would still be good for the larger good if that trade is not have trade trade should happen only when it makes sense right 
if it doesn't make sense you shouldn't be trading that's not that's not protectionism but that just being pragmatic and strategic we shouldn't be kind of extremists who only believe in free trade right so free trade should be there but free trade by definition is trade that happens freely when when there when there is no forcing from outside so in that sense if technology leads to reduced trade i wouldn't think of it as a bad news i think i think it's probably a good thing right trade reduction should happen naturally as a process but not being forced by policy makers or uh, industrialists right so that's a good point to transition to my next question we've seen the adoption of ai and disruptive technologies in international trade and especially trade negotiations an interesting example is brazil's intelligent tech and trade initiative itti Here they use technology to map scenarios of possible trade outcomes in respect of each country's negotiating path or their growth trajectory in order to inform their own strategy going into the negotiations. So for example, if a negotiating partner country is projected to be on a declining growth path, then going into the negotiations, they are going to change their strategy to reflect the extra information they have or in the extreme case back out of the negotiation totally because such a country may be deemed toxic to their own fortunes. and i think this is brilliant this is a brilliant application of ai and this is a pure application of game theory together with artificial intelligence do you see this being a game changer in international trade in post covid-19 global economy uh yeah i think definitely this can go a long way to you know bridge the the information asymmetry right yeah information is shared evenly across the players and i think this can this can definitely have a major implication and here also i think like you like you said disruptive technologies can play a very important role and i think this also brings me to the topic of you know digital trade uh, e-commerce digital trade right 20 30 years ago if you are listening you know michael jackson music and you are sitting you are sitting in africa you would literally have to buy a cassette or a cd right which is shipped literally from us right and today you can just listen to it on youtube correct so e-commerce has made penetration of a uh, lot of goods and basically it has made a lot of goods as services so kind of serviceification of goods has been happening over time so that is another aspect of global economy and trade uh, that is being facilitated over time and i think in future it's going to be more and in fact i, I can tell my own uh, work or like the work of a lot of people like us who are like researchers and consultants and financial service professionals a uh, lot of work we do is all online like we do i i write a report i do some analysis write a report and and send an email and that is my my service trade exporting this report to some other country and then i get paid using swift online right and that is there is a kind of a cross border transaction that happens and so far uh, these things are not they are not subject to custom duties right because these are all happening virtually right uh, but some uh, countries some developing countries have been worried about the tariff revenue losses that are happening like i gave you that example of michael jackson cd right if it had come through the border physically even now if you want to export cds from con- one country to another you are going to pay the custom duties right and now you're you're actually kind of going beyond those custom duties and you're not you know paying them and you are basically uh, so there, there there is a revenue loss for this country so when i did some analysis on this i found that basically they're not going to gain revenue by imposing these tariffs but rather they're going to reduce the digital economy which means that they're also going to reduce their overall economy and uh, that is going to happen uh, with less and less information asymmetry like like you mentioned 
and any kind of hampering that will only be counterproductive if you're trying to hamper digital trade by various uh, artificial means uh, it it may end up being counterproductive and it may hurt the economy as a whole not only those uh, trading sectors basically right so let's look at the impact of ai and disruptive technologies on the global economy in general we know ai and disruptive technologies improve productivity and efficiency across industries given the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic is there a more pressing need for AI and disruptive technologies in order to hasten the economic recovery we very much desire? Yeah, definitely. In fact, I, I sometimes wonder why are we in such a bad situation right. when we have all these nice technologies. And I, I, the answer to that, in my opinion, is that we are not leveraging the technologies sufficiently. Uh, with, with all this, all the big data that is flowing, flowing in with all these cases and recoveries and deaths and all these things, I think we are only able to capture a small part of it globally and we are not able to improve the, the recovery speed because there is lack of uh, utilization of these technologies. So, for example, I, I would have imagined that if all the countries coordinate among themselves and they they share all the granular information about what is happening like patient let's say patient level information right not just you know number of cases and deaths that we see in you know who has some numbers for that ihme so i'm i'm actually uh, happy to associate be associated with university of washington seattle where you have this ihme institute for health metrics and evaluation they have been doing a wonderful job also uh, in terms of predicting how far this is going to stay and what is the what are the different trajectories of recovery and all these things and you also have johns hopkins which gives a nice visualization and so on but i think that the actual potential or possibilities are much much larger than what we are doing for example contact tracing can be uh, much more efficient if you have a lot of decentralized applications that trace people in various locations to basically both understand how uh, the transmission is happening uh, contagion is happening in that area and also to alert them that it's it's kind of like they, they can also learn from the app as to whether their neighborhood has anybody who has covid right right so this kind of contact tracing apps could could have been very helpful and they they also can lead to generation of big data and a lot of analytics could have been done by that i think analytics is a key in this kind of a situation because the medical phenomenon is still a mystery uh, we still don't know you know how exactly to tackle that how where is it coming from so all these things can be uh, analyzed in a much better way if we had uh, given the amount of data we are getting if we have a way to harvest all this data and do very uh, you know in depth uh, analysis and use some ai engines deep learning mechanisms and and all these things to basically understand what is happening because in my opinion i think even the most well informed uh, expert in this is still not completely informed right so so i think that this situation can be avoided with uh, with a much more aggressive use of uh, disruptive technologies and I, i also see this as an opportunity for startups and small businesses uh, they can actually come up with all all they need to do is to develop a few few different apps that can integrate crowdsourcing big data analytics with ai and and come up with insights right and and that 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 can happen 
you don't need to be a doctor or health healthcare professional to do that right so if you good at technology you can do that so so basically i i i think i think there should be a proliferation of such companies and such apps and i i wouldn't be i wouldn't be very uh, unhappy if there are many of them because i think more the merrier the more we have the more uh, the the decision makers have to choose from and maybe they can either choose from or they can use many for because there are various unanswered questions and and maybe you need one app for each question right and maybe maybe you may even need many many apps for one question because there are many ways of answering the question many many different missing points and then somebody can integrate all those things together right so i think that part is missing now and i think the disruptive technologies could have gone a long way to basically understand this and another aspect is also in terms of spending a lot of donations have been made in this regard and nobody knows how the donations are being spent how how the money uh, meant for uh, saving the patients and saving the crisis uh, how is it being spent and that some kind of tracking mechanisms of that like using a technology like blockchain uh, could have gone a long way for a lot of people to donate like i know people maybe even myself i would be very cautious when i make donations right i want to really make sure that my donation reaches the right person exactly if i don't know i won't do it i will probably i'd rather find a patient and go and give the patient money in in his hands rather than uh, rather than going through a trust or something so that thing can be improved by technology so if you have good technologies then people will be very they will know exactly who is it reaching how are they using it is it used for a good purpose and so on so so yeah i think uh, ai and you know blockchain and other you know deep learning and all these different techniques can be uh, used to solve the crisis i think and i i feel that we are lagging behind on that and some global coordination global and local combination basically what you call as global is needed this problem is as much global as it is local so we need all these big data methods and analytics and so on to be more deeply and widely used Right. So talking about the development of new applications, new apps to help answer different questions on the recovery from this crisis. What we've seen in recent times is that there are tens of thousands of AI patent applications around the world. And as of 2018, United States and China were the leading applicants by country of publication. Japan and South Korea followed closely. When we further separate this into developed countries and emerging and developing countries, We see developed countries collectively have the highest number of AI patent applications. What are the factors that may be driving developed countries towards massive development in AI and disruptive technologies? There are some, you know, developing countries which are leading, right? Uh, China is a major player. Right. Uh, India India is also an important player and you have uh, other uh, Asian countries and South Africa and some of the other African countries and you have Latin American countries. So so many of them have particularly the larger developing countries, they have a good ecosystem. Uh, they they have been uh, working on their human resources over time. Exactly. so they have been tuning they have been coming up with explicit programs at the national level to foster uh, you know innovations in ai and i think it is mainly led by china china has been a major player in this area uh, followed by these other countries i mentioned india and other countries right so i think i think that is a major this is definitely a public initiative the, the governments have taken the lead uh, but i think the in countries like india these things happen mostly from the industries uh, given the more you know emerging market kind of economy more open kind of economy so a lot of things happen by the industries initiative so it is also it is also that to some extent 
and also the sheer availability of uh, human resources they have a lot of people who are uh, and engineering and sciences are very sought after professions uh, for both education and and jobs so so i think that is one reason why you you see this proliferation of uh, innovations happening in ai in these countries uh, but i think i also think that the quality is also important how much are these you know going to change uh, things in real world that is yet to be seen uh, because there there would not have been a dozens of patents uh, filed by companies like microsoft google and facebook but those were enough in the beginning i'm talking about the beginning stages right they would have probably filed a few patents and that were enough to change the world right so maybe number of patents itself may not be the the right measure it's probably also the quality and the i would say the the far reaching nature of the patents the the technologies i think in that that i'm not sure how much the developing countries are are leading in that i'm sure you know china is probably doing well on that both on quantity and quality they are they're doing well right but other countries i'm not sure if they are they are up to that mark because you know china as a country they have had lot of academic exchanges between countries like us and other european countries and they have tried to increase their academic research capabilities to the global stage they have got a lot of lot of their universities increasing their rankings over time and they have they have also instituted the us type tenure system there with lot of incentives for innovating and publishing and doing world class work so i think that that kind of aggressive approach to innovation and research uh, has not been seen in many other countries so so i think definitely the public role is very very important in this All right if you leave it to the private companies usually they will their uh, role uh, particularly if uh, since i'm from india i can say that in india traditionally the, the industries are kind of uh, majority of the industries think about the short term profits so they won't be investing a lot in, in innovations that change their bottom line in the long term so unless there is a force from the government these things uh, cannot happen so quickly and and, and such a you know such a qualitatively rich manner right So going forward do you see the high cost of labor also playing a role in the transition towards AI and disruptive technologies such that developed countries largely would want to move away from using a lot of active labor in their production activities and rather transition towards the use of AI and disruptive technologies than would be the case for a lot of developing countries Yeah absolutely I think um, I have already seen some evidence for this uh, in some of my ongoing research I've been doing in uh, some of the Chinese industries I see that uh, the level of automation in some of the industries in China are are amazing they are they are much 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 higher than what you see in the western countries right so china is actually going through this transition it's no more a low cost labor country the labor cost is increasing quite heavily and i would say the same thing is happening in other emerging countries like india and in fact i would also say it add that in india i mean i did some study recently i also found that there is a simultaneous mismatch uh, between labor supply and labor demand right which is kind of happening in many other countries too but i was able to see this particularly very closely in india I, I interacted with some industrialists and found that they are not able to get blue collar workers on on one hand they are not able to get that right and on the other hand if you go to the labor market if you go to the universities and colleges they say their students are not getting enough you know jobs so there is a clear you know mismatch there, there is the, the industries need people with skills by skills i mean practical skills like practical and technical skills and the universities are not producing enough of them 
right so, so and they are producing people who are not fit for this this kind of jobs and producing different types of laborers who are not ready for the job market so this is probably also a worldwide phenomenon where you have a disconnect between academia and industry correct but that is also partly because of the increasing labor costs because there is a lot of voluntary unemployment people have in mind they have some wage rates in mind and if the market doesn't offer them those wage rates they will rather work for free or just stay home or just enjoy internet right <laughs> other disruptive technologies they can sit on their mobile phone use 5g technology and watch movies <laughs> so 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 and that's literally what one of the industries was telling that they, they they got some employees who are just going to the they're not working they they're not they were not interested in working they just uh, you know sit and watch you know movies and so on uh, in their phones and so on so that is another that's a different thing like uh, how to incentivize people to work and so on so because of these reasons i actually came to a conclusion that why when you talk about automation and ai sometimes people say that they should be more human they should we should not go for these technologies because you know people will be displaced job losses will happen and so on but actually the fact that i see when i look around when i go and talk to people the fact is very different uh, basically i think everyone will benefit if you go for automation because people are actually not willing to do the kind of jobs we were doing before right people also want more entertainment and those kind of things so you cannot force them to do these jobs and and then say that there is not enough people who are ready to work like you said the wages people have high expectations in terms of wages so i think the best way out is to skill the people make the people more skilled and do something better and then let the machines do let the ai engines do all the other work right and that is going to happen anyway because of the increasing costs of labor increasing costs of labor also comes from lack of interest in interest in this kind of jobs right so if you don't like something you you need to pay me more more to do that right <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is another reason for increase in wages right so we've also heard a lot about what has been causing the significant impact some countries have had from the crisis due to the age of their population an example in this case is italy and even before the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic, Japan, with a median age of about 48 years, made a conscious move towards robotics. Do you think other countries based on the age of their population alone should have a more aggressive move towards AI in order to complement the labor force? Sure, uh, I think the demographic issue uh, is a, is a is a big topic and Italy is a good example because they suffered a lot now in this crisis. But also many of the other countries, uh, many Scandinavian countries and others, they're also right. suffering from this demographic deficit. And they have to, uh, I think they can benefit a lot from AI and robotics automation, these kind of technologies, definitely. So I completely agree with you. This could be another motivation for them. Right. So let's look at China and the United States. Currently, they command majority of global GDP. With their investments in AI and disruptive technologies, do you see China and the United States continuing to drive global GDP? Yeah, China can uh, continue to dominate the global economy and, and, and I think US will still remain a major force. But there will be some recalibrations. For example, you know, the global supply chain is going to be less dependent on China than it is today. Right. You might have seen already there, there are a lot of announcements in terms of uh, investments uh, moving away from China to other countries and so on. Right. Many countries are repatriating their investments and so on. So, so I think in this regard, there could be some kind of balancing that may happen, rebalancing. Right. 
and also the lower involvement of us in the global global trade because of the policies that happened even before the pandemic and and the pandemic has just uh, you know even aggravated that so becoming less connected with the rest of the world so us being less, less connected with the rest of the world rather than being a global economic pioneer and global economic leader that could also uh, erode the uh, position in the global economy so i think uh, because of these specific problems that pertain to us and china we might we might witness erosion of their uh, position right and some of the other asian countries uh, like india and you know vietnam indonesia thailand so these countries can go up but i don't foresee reduction in their rankings i think us and china would still remain be the two largest economies for times to come i don't know how long but it's going to be there for, uh, for a very long time but there will be there will be a slightly more democratic allocation of economy across other countries so the global economy is going to be more equal i would say so us and china will dominate right but other countries also would expand a little more right so when we look at developing countries what we see is that there is a lot of untapped capacity in terms of their productivity do developing countries need ai to augment their productivity or they can simply tap into their existing capacity to improve their productivity do they really need ai and disruptive technologies So I think this is always a very difficult question because on one hand uh, I w- I will give you a, a simple example of a different one but a related example where if you think about the metro trains if you go to new york city and new york city is maybe that's probably the place to be i mean before the pandemic i would say right everyone would like to go to new york city that's the most attractive place on the world in many many terms but but then if you go to the metro train take the metro trains in new york city they won't be that attractive i mean they are okay they have their own uh, you know nostalgic charm people have been using it for a long time so people you know love them and those kind of things are there but if you go to let's say a city like new delhi or mumbai or uh, on some of the, the the indian cities or or chinese cities beijing or somewhere you'll see the metro trains are much much modern and uh, much better right and the reason is because of this process called leapfrogging right right the india and china kind of countries they, they did not have this metro technologies for a long time they only started doing it like 10 years 20 years ago and they were able to start with the latest available then whereas the us new york city is stuck with what was done like 50 years ago or so right so this leapfrogging has a huge advantage and this i think this concept is relevant for the question that you asked for africa so they don't necessarily have to go through all the processes that other developing countries or even developed countries had to go through so they don't have to go through the painful process of employing all these people making making use of the unused capacity in terms of blue collar workers and then gradually do automation ai and so on they can directly right away go get into uh, this uh, latest technologies that are available and in terms of things like blockchain and ai they already have been uh, some some developments there and what can this do is particularly if you take a technology like blockchain and a, its combination with ai they have a lot of distributional uh, effects which are also which are positive also because they when you when you go to any blockchain forum particularly something like a blockchain economic forum where blockchain and economics combine you see that people who come there are both technologists investors and also social activists right the reason why social activists are so interested in blockchain is because it's fundamentally based on decentralization and equality redistribution uh, libertarian philosophy you know these kind of things which are actually pro poor basically equal opportunities for everyone so nobody should 
just because some people have a lot of money they should don't dominate the whole economy so these these kind of tenets or principles they are embedded in many of these disruptive technologies so in that sense they can be there is there need not be much tension between the disruptive technologies and uh, you know job losses or or development like you were mentioning right so i i would imagine that going back to the previous podcast where i was talking about two things uh, skill development and income support right if these two things are assured by the government and the industry i think african countries also should leapfrog they should also get into directly to these uh, disruptive technologies so that they can they can reduce cost increase efficiency enjoy prosperity share it you know bake the pie and then share it right right they can do all these things and simultaneously take care of the poor population right and uh, imbibe skills in them develop skills for them if you're still not able to develop skills that are needed Uh, you know provide them income support so that is that is where i my uh, heads are at i think i think it is not contradictory you can still increase efficiency improve your capacity utilization using the new technologies without you know harming the employment maybe even if anything you can Im- increase the employment increase the income support also right so how are different sectors of the economy going to perform with the advancements in ai post covid-19 uh i think uh, it is a difficult question because uh, almost all sectors stand to benefit from you know ai and uh, other other technologies right particularly if we stick to you know developing countries i would say that agricultural sectors can be greatly benefited like i, I was telling earlier the losses can be reduced and productivity can increase yield can be improved by you know for example you can combine drones with ai blockchain and iot and all these technologies you can actually monitor what is happening in the farm right and you can optimize the processes you can actually even actually you can understand at a micro level what is needed for the crop to survive to do well and that can be uh, the farmers can really become very prosperous using these technologies so i think this is also tying in with your previous question of how can the unused capacity be used and how can poor people benefit and this is a good example how these technologies can help the farmers and then farming can become a profitable profession in that sense and uh, and even it can attract a lot of people uh, involved in it not only farming but also the entire food processing industry the whole industry can benefit a lot from this safety can increase and you can also you know, always discriminate or distinguish the products uh, food products the agricultural products that are made using all these disruptive technologies and the products that are made without them so and you can always have a differential pricing so the consumers can pay consumers themselves can pay for the the additional costs that are incurred right uh, because they are assured of the quality they are assured of the food safety quality and so on so there is we did some also we did some analysis on this recently and found that customers are willing to pay they are willing to pay more if they if they are assured that there is safety there is transparency there is quality in the food so i and that is why i think food food industry could be a big beneficiary and as i said all other industries also like automotive industry can be a big beneficiary i think public sector can be a big, big beneficiary a lot of the government schemes government policies can be more effectively implemented and more effectively traced and uh, kept track of so that people don't have to worry about the government schemes being you know non transparent and wasteful and so on so they they also can be tracked and improved so efficiencies can be improved so i think food industry pretty much the entire manufacturing sector with like what we started our discussion with industry 4.0 right and uh, the services industry particularly financial services we discussed already and the government uh, services 
uh, I think all these uh, industries will be really positively affected in the future. The big question mark to me in my mind is mainly the travel, transportation, uh, for you know restaurants and uh, recreation, these kind of industries. Because unless the companies or the organizations, the in- industries that come under these sectors, uh, unless they uh, take conscious effort to transform themselves to the new normal, they could be uh, affected severely. So I think I think uh, there is going to be some kind of survival of the fittest going on. Right. Uh, particularly in these sectors so if you don't if you don't adjust to the new normal you are out of business and many companies many restaurants are already out of business we we might have noticed in our neighborhoods we we watch we watch a lot of them painfully uh, you know going out of business so i think i think hopefully some of them may come back but some of them may not and if even if those that come back may or may not you know match the standards required Right. So to conclude our discussion, what policy prescriptions in terms of the use of AI and disruptive technologies would you recommend as key to reviving the global economy post-COVID-19? So I think the governments should uh, take, a, as I mentioned earlier, like a global approach. They should have a global and local com- combined approach where right. countries should help each other in terms of technology sharing. And they should also have a local priorities addressed what is what is what are the issues that that exist in specific industries specific countries specific regions uh, i think all these things should be addressed and policies should address at a macro level they should address the pain points of the whole economy both at the local and national global levels right and prioritize funding for projects that involve those kind of innovations Another possible, another potential policy is I've I've looked at the 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 policy, the innovation policies in in Israel. They are really commendable. I think a lot of people have written articles on them. So the way they work is the government takes ownership of the startups. So they they invest in startups and they become you know part owners. They have some equity. So this is neither a loan nor a subsidy. So it is more like the government partners with the innovators. Right. So if the innovators succeed, then the government also gets uh, dividends. If the in- innovators fail, the government loses it. In which case, it becomes more like a subsidy. But but there is a- a- every uh, incentive for both the innovators and for the for the government and for the people to to basically succeed, do do good innovations that matter. I think that that kind of approach may be very helpful globally. Um, multiple countries should take up that approach. Because then you don't, you're not, you're not anymore talking about uh, freely. It was free money doesn't exist here. The the money is investment, and the investment is linked with the the return on investment that you get after that. Right after when the technology succeeds. So I think that kind of approach should should be there. Innovation promotion policy should be more investment oriented rather than subsidy oriented. Right. And apart from that, I also think a very important point is this COVID recovery is not so much top-down approach. I think top-down approach is going to sustain us in the short term. Right. The poor people need the government support for their food and basic needs. Definitely that has to happen. Stimulus packages, those should go on. But the long-term recovery or the mid, even the medium-term recovery is not at all you know, going to be 
top down or it's not like government putting in some money and that coming coming out of the system uh, but it's more like bottom up so the industries the companies the industries they have to innovate and they have to come up with various interesting uh, technologies uh, like ai and other technologies to solve the problems of the society of the uh, of the businesses of the economy as a whole and that will have a multiplier effect once they do the industries individually they change their uh, approaches and then uh, they adjust to the new normal then collectively as a society as an economy we all uh, are going to going to upgrade so in that sense i see there is a more there, there is a larger scope for bottom up uh, recovery uh, starting from individuals and uh, companies rather than from government to people so the role the government can play is to incentivize people to innovate and do the right things that you know you you're all partners it's not like we are not the government is not alone people should support the industry should support the recovery path by taking the necessary measures partly by participating in the covid recovery in the healthcare field uh, technology and healthcare combinations and also scaling up the business model to other other problems of the society you know for example there could be you know employer employee matching uh, apps and algorithms you know those kind of things lot of lot of problems are happening in the society now uh you know a lot of a lot of things are happening in the short term and you can c- come up with innovative technologies to address many of them right and that way if, if the startups uh, and the small companies and even big companies work in kind now if they if they work in kind because right now there is no cash flow probably they may not be able to make much much money out of it but eventually this can this is a time to test actually this is a time they can test themselves help the society in that process and in the meantime work out uh, good business models which which can pay huge dividends later all right here is where we end our discussion series on the impact of ai and disruptive technologies on post covid-19 world economy thank you very much dr badri for your time and for taking us through these discussions it's been really insightful talking to you yeah thank you very much dr frank for your thought provoking questions as well i think a large part of the discussion was because of your questions i was able to i was forced to think deeply and i was able to answer so thank you very much for your nice questions subscribe to the risk experience podcast and thank you for listening